Graphic Nature acknowledges the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, the traditional custodians of the land on which we record the show, and pay our respects to the Elders past, present and future, and extend that respect to other Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people who may be listening to this podcast. Due to the graphic nature of this program, listener discretion is advised. Fighting for what's right, for justice, that's what a hero does. It is my opinion. Without any reasonable doubt and without any reservation that comic books are an important contributing factor in many cases of juvenile delinquency. Comic books are pure evil. Satan himself condemns our children to the fiery depths of hell. How a particular tale can come to life in the mind of a reader is endlessly fascinating to me. He has found that all comic books have a very bad effect on teaching the youngest children the proper reading techniques. This balloon print pattern prevents that. I am not a villain. I am a victim. A victim of a society that tortured me. Vengeance will be mine. It'll be mine. It'll be mine. It'll be mine. Welcome to Graphic Nature a fortnightly podcast exploring the inspiring world of comic books, the culture that supports it, the creators, publishers, and people behind the printed pages and digital screens pushing the medium on into the future in Australia and the world. I'm Zoran Ilyevsky. On this episode, we're joined by a Melbourne comics creator, David Blumenstein. Welcome to Graphic Nature, mate. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. You know, considering all things uh, that are happening in the world uh, nowadays, it's, uh, you know, it's... Yeah, it's, it's that kind of time, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, well, we'll see where we go. We'll see where we go. Yeah. How how did you start with comics? Was it uh, was it a creative thing as a child, or was it just reading comics? Uh, I read comics. I, I you know got taken to the newsagent, and comics were bought for me, and they were Garfield and and Archie and all the kind of junk that you would imagine. And uh, my dad is a is a builder of mechanical things for cars and stuff and so he would be getting lots of um packages from the states and they were all wrapped up in like comics pages the massive huge colorful ones that they used to have there um so yeah all those cartoon things and then i got into like spider-man and uh and you know punchy facey hero type comics for a while uh and then because of all the I don't know how, how much you talk about like mainstream uh, kind of American comics, but like Spider-Man at that time was, was part of a thing called the clone saga, which is where suddenly there was a clone of Spider-Man who reappeared and, Oh my God, what is, well, there are two Spider-Men. What are we going to do? Oh, the, the marvelous creation to... of Ben Riley. Yeah. Yeah. That one. And then they <laughs> went, wait a minute, maybe the clone is the real one and everyone gets freaked out by that and it was all just this humongous uh ploy to get everyone to buy every single copy of the five six seven different spider-man comics that were out at that time and so i just dropped out of comics completely in wow. the middle of that and stopped reading them kind of or stopped buying them anyway and would that um, would that um, have been because of you uh were you significantly older than when you originally got into comics well so i would have been like I don't know. When did that all happen? I would have been like 16 or 17 or yeah, right. maybe not. Maybe I was a bit older. I'm not sure. But anyway, I think teenage. And uh, then 
I came across uh, Milk and Cheese one day. Yeah, right. You know, the Evan Dorkin (laughs) comic. And I went, oh, shit, comics can be actually quite different, you know. And so, yeah, and that got me, I suppose, back into comics. And I kept reading comics since then. And I don't actually read a lot of comics lately other than local people comics. Yeah, right. Yeah. That's 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 interesting. I've spoken to many people on the podcast on the show before, and and a lot of a lot of creators uh, aren't reading as much as I thought they would be. I'm reading. I'm reading books. I'm I'm I always read books a lot mm-hmm. as well. So I'm doing lots of reading, but I'm not reading a lot of comics, I guess. And and so what you're you're reading milk and cheese, and you realise that comics can be something other than just superheroes. What well, yeah, was... but also like I, I, I had read Mad Magazine tons as in sort of eight to ten year old. So it's not like I didn't know there were funny comics, but yeah, right. I think Dorkin in the 90s was kind of, you know, uh, I don't know. He spoke to a generation, I reckon. What was the impetus for you to go, that's it, I'm now going to start creating my own books? Um, well, I'd always drawn in class, you know. Um, not instead of listening to the teacher. I was usually listening to the teacher as well, but um, drawing dumb pictures of, you know, teachers and stuff like that. So uh, once I went to uni, I did a fine art course and I would just do comics in the fine art course. Um, which, How'd that go uh, down? Yeah, not well, actually. <laughs> they they There was one meeting where they talked about me just not coming back next year kind of thing. Um, but... <laughs> Yeah, I realized later that it was not so much that I did comics, although that's a problem because they didn't sort of understand. Mm -hmm. But it was that I didn't spend a lot of time trying to justify doing comics. Yeah, right. Like if I had if I had put together a a sort of visual diary with tons of sort of essays about like the meaning of comics and where it sits in the history of art and culture and all that, if I'd done that and backed myself up with I suppose academia, then I would have been fine because there was like a guy who who was in my, my course who was an excellent guy. And, but what he did was he had his like a studio space in one corner and he spent, if I'm remembering correctly, he spent a, a whole semester just gessoing one canvas and with a fish tank in his space, just feeding the fish. And he did that kind of journaling, like like long, you know, explanatory things of what is happening in the tank and 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 how are the fish going and that kind of thing, and just gessoing this one canvas over and over and over again. And he got it like an HD for that semester. Jesus. And I was virtually failing doing, you know, I was trying initially to paint, like it was a painting course, and so I would paint as well as I could, and then the teachers I would find out were using my canvases as like what not to do in other classes Uh, rather than actually letting you know that you're not on the right path oh no they also let me know i was on the wrong path (laughs) but i was i was just not you know i would have been i'm sure i was just too illustrative and and i you know narrative is not something that necessarily comes into painting you know they're not like looking for multiple images when i would you know draw stuff in my space they would you know, come over and say things like, do you know what an artist book is? And I'll go, no. And they'll go, you should look it up. And I would look it up and I go, okay, this is pretty cool. It's not at all what I'm doing. 
and they would say things like, now, do you know who Roy Lichtenstein is? And I'm like, yes, I do. Because he did big comics. Yes, yes, he did. What if you did your <laughs> comics really big and painted them and put them on a wall, just one image at a time? And I'm like, uh, do I, do I, if I was, if I was with it, I probably would have tried to explain to them, like, the intent is completely different. Yeah. But I didn't think about that because I was a dummy and 19. So well, I, I, just... I actually don't think it's your, I don't think it's your problem. I think it's actually the art world for a very long time, not being able to, to think that you can have, you know, image and, and narrative together. Mm. Or, yeah, or, but... And, and I suppose actually that they probably did know, they just thought it was beneath the current thinking of, of what art was or, you know, what fine art or literature was. Yeah, and it's down to who you have, you know, as your lecturer. If you happen to have a cool lecturer, you would get, um, you know, encouraged mm. potentially in what you're doing. And there were, I think, a couple of cool lecturers there, and I just sort of didn't have one of them. I had a very the, – the guy I had teaching me, he's probably a nice guy, but he was he seemed like a real grump most of the time, and he his thing was painting pictures of rolls of paper. So not <laughs> painting on paper – painting canvases and the picture he's painting on the canvas is a beautifully lit roll of paper. Right. If that makes sense. That was his thing. And so like one semester he was just gone and we went, Oh, what happened? And someone said, Oh, he started selling like his works sold. So he's gone off to paint more. Oh, okay. So yeah, you know, I think every so often I, I did have some encouragement, but not particularly for the comics or anything. So I just ended up doing what I did and uh, I started putting like, like for the final semester, I was concerned because every semester I got a 50, which is like borderline. Like you, that's, still a that's pass. basically 50 is still a pass. It's still a pass, <laughs> but it's, it's the, the, the cutting edge. So I said to, to, I think one of the lecturers, all right, look, so you've been giving me these fifties every single semester. I think it's a bit shit. And I would like an 85 for the last semester. And I feel that will make it up. You know, mm-hmm. I will feel good. And I think I deserve it. And I would put up like just big drawings of the number 85 <laughs> on the wall, just to remind them. And they gave me a 58. <laughs> and I don't know even now if that was a funny joke on their part or if they uh, just came to that number without thinking. I'm hoping it was a really funny joke because I would appreciate that. So I feel <laughs> all right. They didn't kick me out. And after that, I mean, because I'd done that course, I was then eligible to go into a graduate diploma for a year uh, in animation, which yep. was where I really belonged. Right. Most of my career has been in animation, storyboarding, uh, and, yeah, illustration. That sounds like a tough gig. Well, I mean, it was hard to get into it but I got into it eventually by just sort of doing my own short films Mm -hmm. and one of them was spotted by some people who were starting on an animated series here in Melbourne and they just went okay we we should meet that guy not so much because it was a brilliant film but because it was really long and I'd done it all myself and they went well he can work hard I guess yeah so yeah so I got into it that way and I worked on a series I worked on a few series of that show. It was called Dog Star. Oh, uh, cool. It was a kid's show. 
And nice. um, yeah, so that was that got me into animation. And then, you know, you just sort of you have up years and you have down years. And you know, as it time went on, I you know took on more work in studios and then outside of studios. And then you're uh, doing storyboards because because obviously I'm into narrative more yeah. than I'm into doing beautiful art and beautiful drawings. So I like to tell a story. So um, yeah, so storyboarding and I guess directing animation and then i diverted off completely for a, a few years which i guess i still have which is in uh, work working in what you would call human-centered design and service design okay which is less like making pictures necessarily mm-hmm. and more like um helping people to develop products and services uh from my perspective i guess in a in a more thoughtful or creative way like like visually so, you mean well the way i do it is kind of visual so when they talk about human-centered design they're talking about like you know when you see you know the future of work is you know people standing around a wall with make, with sticking post-it notes everywhere yeah. and basically the idea it's, it's a nice idea not to get too deeply into the politics of it but it's it's a nice idea the kind of that i suppose for me it's that organizations get sort of constipated Mm-hmm. I, I would say like it's hard for people who work and, and this is the thing is I've never really worked a day job so like in an office as a permanent person until you know fairly recently yeah so I, I I guess I didn't understand I was being an arty arty dude um, but when you're in a, a company and you work for a company and there are managers above you and there are other people elsewhere and there's all these different teams and you know I'm talking about like any company really it can happen in a little company yeah. but even big, especially big companies they just they, they can't think straight almost because they're forced into a million meetings and they have these prescriptive ways of doing things and they do all these you know business plans and there's all these acronyms and garbage and so people <laughs> don't really get a chance i don't think most of the time to be creative they're mostly stuck in a corporate sort of environment I, t- and so, well, I can attest to that because i spent two years in a corporate structured uh, organization and um it was hell <laughs> yeah can you say what kind of organization it was a financial institution let's just yeah, say yeah okay that. so i did the same right? Yeah, right. I, I was in this place as a and it was all it was kind of fluky i guess it was you know there was just a guy who who really had faith in people who were you know who had my kind of background and was willing to throw me and then another one of us, like two sort of arty people into that environment. And they're just told, all right, just do what you think is the right thing to do to help people in this company. Well, and it that's was all such right. a, it was awesome. It was a fantastic experience. It sounds and like I'll, a lot better, a lot better of a, uh, an experience than what I had. Yeah. Well, definitely. Because you would have been in that thing where, well, we hired you to do, you know, job X that's and exactly, we're not going to exactly let you get out of that. Yeah. So, and that's the problem is that, is that, you know, so when we talk about human centered design, you get all these people who are, you know, designers and they wear very specific sorts of clothing sometimes. And, you know, those glasses that, that smart young people are meant to wear and they do human centered design work, which essentially to me is just sort of ripped off from a whole bunch of other disciplines like anthropology. You do a bit of analyzing you know so what is what does the customer want you know you're looking at who they are and what are their interests and they map out 
you know, what do customers really want? And, and they, you know, and when it's done well, it, it works. I think it, it, you know, they're not thinking about the customer a lot of the time. They're just thinking about what is easy to sell or what product, you know, they've always made. And so when it's done well, this stuff is like shaking people out of a, out of a nightmare. And now all of a sudden they can work in a more creative way. But the thing is they would do this stuff. I think if they just, you know, if your boss at that financial institution just would let you do your own thing a little bit, you probably would come to these ideas yourself. Yeah. Well, if we you, had we, you, we did have many conversations around letting me do what, the way I saw fit, and uh, yeah. it was heavily discouraged. Right. And financial institutions are probably going to be, well, they're kind of the worst in the sense that that's where all the money is, and so they some of those people can be extremely anal. But in another yeah. sense, they've got all the money in the world. So sometimes they will throw all the money in the world at this fancy, exciting new idea of design. That's what, while... that's what the, most, uh, the most surprising thing was, is the section of the organization I worked in was in their brand new uh, educational facility for uh. staff members on a national level. It was a pilot program that ran well after I had left. And so everything was around about feeling good. They, they had all that, like, it was at the precipice of all that, you know, corporate wellness bullshit. Mm, and yeah. um, and, and just, just on corporate structures, very briefly, the amount of people it took to do something was so inefficient, um, particularly mm. if you have someone who has, you know, already has skills or is, is knowledgeable in certain areas. I remember yeah. fixing, fixing a wall mount of a, you know, of a data cable and getting yelled at for fixing it and making yeah. sure that the program ran on time. You know, I saved a lot of people a lot of time and I got yelled at because it wasn't my job. So that was, uh, you know, that was insane. Yeah. So that, that human stuff, that what the ways that people actually interact in the real world and the weird strictures and egos and things like that, that is the shit that, completely undoes all of this human-centered design stuff mm. where it's it's such a good idea and it's so nice and people who do like courses in human-centered design and and all the other ones service design and agile and ux they come out of them you know as sort of design evangelists and they're so excited to to employ their time in a much more useful way and then they run smack into that kind of shit that you did <laughs> when you just wanted to fix a cable, yeah. you know? So yeah, it's, it's, it's weird doing this work and it's getting harder and harder for me to sort of justify being involved in it. The, the insights you have now in your human centered design industry, does it help you in your, in your narrative works? Well, I think it's, probably more the other way where the, all the stuff that I did, you know, all the comics and animation and, and boarding and that, yeah, all right. that stuff is input into the human centered design stuff because that is something that they use. They actually are very visual mm -hmm. most of the time, you know, all those post-it notes are, are there for a reason. It isn't, hopefully it's not just because they like wasting paper. They, they stick up post-it notes on walls to do their, what they call ideating 
but you might just call it like thinking about shit. And we're putting each, you know, thought that we have on a single post-it note, one per post-it note, and we stick them, everyone, you know, if it's a workshop, everyone sticks them up all over the walls. And what you can then do, hopefully, once the workshop is over, is you can take all of those post-it notes and you can start re-theming them and going, okay, so we asked a lot of different questions about stuff and I'm noticing by... If you, if you take all of these bits and you stick them over here together, there's a humongous worry about like uh, trustworthiness. You know, mm-hmm. people, a lot of people here are thinking about, are we a trusted uh, company, for example? And so that hopefully gives you a sort of avenue to go, all right, well, we need to explore that further because we thought we were here to work out, you know, how we're going to, what is the new credit card product or whatever that we're going to sell. But actually the problem that needs fixing here is that everyone knows that nobody trusts us because we're a big evil bank, for yeah. example. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So that that's genuinely interesting work and it wouldn't work as well if you did it like on a computer in Word. Uh, it works well when you do it physically in groups of people in a room together on walls so you can imagine that things in this industry are looking kind of frightening and dire now as none of us are allowed to be physically together in rooms at the moment mm-hmm. uh so yeah but that's that's how the the visual and the the physical stuff kind of goes into the design and then i guess in recent years i have been doing more comics that are uh non-fiction and that's probably because I, I don't think it is from the human centered design stuff. I think it's just that I like talking to people and I like looking at things and making pictures of them. And that lends itself to nonfiction telling stories yep. that are so other people's stories, maybe um, rather than some fantasy shit that I made up. Although <laughs> I like doing that too. Mm-hmm. And that lends itself to the human centered design work as well. So yeah. Just backtrack now a little bit. Your let's talk about your storyboarding and and how you actually the way that you started working on your own comics. You started the the all the film kind of production animation stuff before you got into doing your comics. Is that correct? Well, I was always drawing. So like when I was a kid, and like I said, just you know doing silly pictures of Mr. Lever, the level convener in year eight and stuff. Um, and comics came out of that. And I was reading comics at the time, so I was drawing my own, you know, comics in exercise books since I was a little tiny person. Um, but making comics and like going, I'm going to put them in a shop and let other people read them or putting them online. Yeah, when when we got internet in the in the nineties, so ninety yeah ninety six ninety seven. So things I started, like Naked Fella Comics and Herman the Legal Labrador. Yeah. So I was doing comics and putting them online before I knew that you could make a like a your own book and put it in a shop. And I was also fooling around with a program called Macromedia Flash. And so I was m- sort of making very half-assed Flash animations in the heyday of Flash animation mm-hmm. on the web. Yeah. So that was all sort of happening at the same time. And but it was years after that before I actually got a job in animation. And where did some of the ideas for the comics come from? Oh, yeah, just random shit, whatever was happening <laughs> in my life, you know. Uh, I'm not going to try to go back and read my old comics because I'll, I'll cringe. But, 
yeah, just whatever's happening, you know, what is your sister doing to piss you off? Or what did some dickhead say at school or yeah, you know, just, just stuff. Uh, let's talk about something that uh, you were, you got uh, quite a lot of press about. How did you, how did you decide to, to do hashtag takedown? So, uh, uh, my wife, Sarah Howell, who Mm -hmm. you have spoken to Mm -hmm. and who is an excellent comics person herself, she was off in the States, um, doing a comics residency at the Atlantic center for the arts, I think it's called. And so I was a, a gentleman bachelor just on my own in Melbourne, uh, footloose with no child at the time. And, uh, I've always been fascinated by these jerk offs who are call themselves professional pickup artists. Right. And we're just, you know, like I, when I'd be recording voiceover with people, I'd, I'd take them into the booth and I'd give them some lines that some professional pickup artists had come up with. And I'd get them to read those just to test the mics. Yep and get them a bit warmed up because the, the things that those guys say are, is, I mean, it's frightening as well as idiotic. It was more idiotic then and funny. It's less funny now that some of them are sort of incels, but, um, yeah. So yeah, I, I just, uh, I, I, where did I see it? I don't know. I saw it somewhere that like that this pickup artist, um, Julian blank was coming to Australia and he was going to, you know, teach us all. Probably it was friends who were like, this is disgusting. We got to protest this. And I went, oh, okay, I'm interested in just going along and listening to what this guy says, because I've never been in a room with all of those kind of guys. Right. And I want to see what that's like. And so I signed up, I said, all right, it's going to be at a venue pretty close. Like I could have walked there from my place. I went, great. All right. Signed up, bang, I'm going. It, and then it did get protested. And then he got given the ass from his venue because right. of all yeah. the protests. And so he had to change to a new place and it was a secret place that they wouldn't tell us, but they sent us an email saying, all right, so everyone go to St. Gilda Pier and just wait there. And then you will be taken to the exciting venue that we've got lined up for you. Jeez. And so, yeah, I went, all right, cool, cool. Well, I'm, I'm, I'll go wait around on a pier and then at the same time, I saw people getting really savage and excitable about this guy and going, we are going to, we are going to stop it, which I was like, yeah, all right, cool. Yeah. Yeah. Come out and, and protest and whatever. But they were also going, and we're going to dox everyone we see there. And I was like, oh, um, but, but I'm, I'm, I'm going along like as a secret, <laughs> you know, I guess, I guess almost a journalist kind of idea. And the, but then I saw that the people who were organizing the protest, I knew them. So I said, Hey, can you, can you like ask everyone to not dox me too much? Cause I really just want to, and they're like, okay, no problem. So I was sort of there kind of giving my friend who was running the protest, the eye and just like winking, like, it's all right, here I am. (laughs) And I just went around and hung out and tried to get in conversations with these dudes and see what happened. How long, how long did the book take to put together? Oh, I don't know. Maybe like six months or something. Yeah, right. Yeah. And so I, was, I was trying to draw as simply as I could to, for, the, for that book because, uh, yeah, I wanted to get it done quickly. And I know that it could take me a pretty long time. Uh, did, were you recording any of the conversations or was it all just from memory? I believe it would be considered unjournalistic to record people 
the way you're describing. Right. Well, um, I meant taking notes. Yes. Yeah. I was. I was taking notes. So was it like a? Were you telling people you were a journalist or or you know? No. No. Right. And they didn't. They didn't question why you were writing notes. No. <laughs> they were. They were. They were waiting for something exciting to happen. I was. I, you know. I wasn't sort of writing things down directly in front of them. No. Okay. Yeah. But well, yeah, yeah. So so yeah, had some interesting conversations and got a sense of it, and then yeah, and missed so, the actual event, unfortunately. <laughs> Did you need to see it though? Ah, uh, I don't know. It would have been a more interesting ending for the book, I think. You're listening to Graphic Nature. We'll return right after this short message. Hey, thanks for listening. Hope you're enjoying the show. Please jump on Facebook and like us, as well as following us on Twitter and Instagram. You can find all the details on the website, graphicnature.media. Thanks very much. And you know what? There's a there's a Bill and Ted sequel coming out. Yep. That's something to get excited about. <laughs> and Evan Dorkin is doing a comic prequel to it. Is he really? Which is, yeah, which is awesome. Wonderful to hear. He's doing it with Roger Langridge. Right. Oh, see? This is the first comic in years that has excited me, like where it's a thing is coming out and it's new and I'm going to go to All-Star Comics and buy it. You know, because you're not reading comics that much, like how do you hear something like that, that something that's going to excite I'm, you? I'm supporting Evan Dorkin on Patreon. Oh, that's how I know about it. Right. Right. Yeah. Have you, have you, are you, uh, are you on Patreon? Not to receive money. No, just to, okay. just to, so yeah, you know, chip in for a few things. Right. Um, yeah, I, I don't, I don't think I, I'm not necessarily very good at audience building. So I don't think a personal crowdfundy Patreon thing would work very well for me. I kind of prefer to just do things when opportunities come up and, you know, people can, Take it or leave it. Do you find that something like Patreon might, it might be one of those things, uh, like putting the cart before the horse? Uh, I think when you have a particular project, that it would be a good thing. Mm -hmm. Like I did a, a comic that was, the idea was, for, it was for charity last year to raise money for charity. Oh yeah, that and was the, so, uh, where is it? There is uh, What We Tell Them, a storybook by Mr. Tony Abbott. There you go. So I did a comic which was just, yeah, it was a fake kids book by Tony Abbott. Like I went, what, what, what is the kids book that he would write? And I did that to be uh, be of benefit to, um, yeah, to, um, oh, I've lost the name of them. Uh, it's fallen out of my head because it's several The Life words. You Can Save? The Life You Can Save, Peter Singer's charity. So Peter Singer being a, a very kind of, oh, I, I won't try to describe him as a philosopher, you can look him up. Um, but he started, uh, uh, or some people with him started a, a, a group, which was basically the idea is they evaluate charities to determine whether the money is going to the absolute most possible benefit for every dollar you give them. The idea is like, is this going to save lives right now? with you know at, at this very moment what is what is one dollar going to do with this charity what are they going to do with it that's going to just make a humongous immeasurable difference in people's lives and so they tend to be helping people in the third world and they tend to be either like literally saving lives with really cheap stuff like 
um, you know, charities that that give people mosquito netting because that saves tons mm-hmm. of people from malaria dying of it. Or like Fred Hollows is one of the charities that they support because, you know, just giving people sight is an incredible thing. And mm-hmm. they do it for like 30 bucks per operation, something, yeah. something absurdly cheap. So, yeah, so I did that book as a crowdfund uh, to, to, to raise money for, for that. And that worked out okay. But if I was any good at marketing, I just think it could have done much better. Did you send, you know, did you send it out to news groups and all that kind of stuff? Yeah, I, I did. I did what I know how to do, which is do a bit of a media release and send it to, you know, places. But ultimately, you know, it's a different world, really. I think the things that I learned as far as how do you get media on site are from the 90s and 2000s. And we're already in a completely different world where, you know, people are, are uh, there's, there's influencers and in, that you're supposed to get on side rather than, you know, the age or whatever. It's, yeah, it's beyond me. And if I was to do a project where I'm trying to sell seriously and get it out into the world, I would have to really make myself understand that new world of publicity or, or you know, be able to hire someone who did. Because, yeah, all I know how to do is talk about my own shit a little bit yeah. And in recent years, I think I've maybe gotten a little bit better at not like pissing all over it. Like I can't, I can't, it's very hard for me to, to not qualify things like to say, you know, like earlier, I think you said, you know, and uh, your book takedown got a, a lot of interest or a lot of, you know, you were in a lot of media and it was very hard for me to not say, oh yeah, not that much media, you know, didn't do that well because <laughs> Because partly because I'm an Australian and partly I'm sure there's other psychological problems that I have that are contributing to that. <laughs> it, it would um, seem you and a lot of people in comics, actually. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> comics, but the arts generally, which is why I'm working slowly, slowly on a big, massive, hopefully it would be a book, a big, long comic, which is about money and wealth. And it's becoming also about artists. Is, and that, how... is that different from free money? It's free money, please. Yeah. And okay. So you're still working on that. Yeah. So I did a, like, that's, that's like an 80 page comic that, that first part that I did of it. But I, I imagine that is almost like the beginning of the book. Right. So I'm imagining it's sort of more like another three or 400 pages beyond that. Cause I read um, that first part and it, it's awesome. It's actually, it's really thanks. good. Uh, it, it actually it, breaks down a lot of things and I'm assuming that, uh, or the the stuff we were talking about earlier, or your human human design stuff, kind of informs some of that because yeah, I'm probably. reading it and I'm like going, wow, this is the best way all of this stuff has been explained to me because uh, I've never understood a lot of it prior to this. Um, so awesome, it, yeah, definitely working in organisations where you know, like I said, they don't know how to tell a story and having lots of practice, sort of either talking to or drawing out mapping out things for people who mm-hmm. maybe have never read a comic before uh, my comics have become simpler definitely like the layout of them you know i kind of don't do like my pay if i if i was to do a comic now and when i do they tend to be for online so they tend to be you know one panel yep. and then and then vertical i go down I don't tend to enjoy doing, you know, like left side panel, right side panel or anything 
even that complicated. I just kind of go up to down now with full panels because, yeah, it's it's simpler. It, people who don't know how to read a comic. And so that's why it, like I don't... I, I like some art comics, but I, I, they're not completely my thing because really a lot of them are about, well, we don't care about established form and we don't care about narrative structure and being easy to read you know that's not the point of them yeah um and i like for me to do stuff that makes a lot of sense visually like to read i can get from one panel to the next and it all works um but i do like you know stuff that is you know arty and weird inside the panels if that makes sense yep so like i didn't i'd never read any jim woodring until he came out here to Australia a few years ago. Yep. And I bought, after the talk we went to, uh, I bought the two books that he had out at the time and I've got them here on the shelf and they're just amazing because they are so psychologically, emotionally weird, frightening, you know, real and true. You can feel real shit coming out of them, but he's like a, I can't remember what his background, he's a trained animator storyboard he's yep. got a similar background to me except i think he was doing it i want to say like for filmation or hanna-barbera or something so he he knows how to do it in a way that the eye can read you know that you can yep. get through it it's it's an art comic i guess but it's a very very readable art comic but but I'm, and i've had many conversations particularly with your with with your wife uh, sarah howe that yep. uh that for some reason there's quite a few people out in comics who don't think about the things you're just talking about right now. And that's cool. I don't have to. Comics uh, can be anything you want it yeah, to be. Yeah, they can. They can. But let's just say, for instance, for me, it's always been the perfect, you know, you need to find the perfect the perfect marriage of narrative with art. Mm. And I understand. And, you know, and there are varying degrees of that. I get that. But for me, I'm always looking for the thing that works the best. Yeah. For any particular story. Um, so if you're, you know, there is a way to do it. I do truly believe that there is a way to do it, whether you're art heavy or whether you're narrative heavy to make it work. So it, so it, it's a, a great piece of work as opposed to mm. just, oh, it's a bit heavy on the words. You know, it's like that, you know, in the nineties they used to do, a, there was a couple of people used to do, um, comics where it would be, you know, the left hand side would just be this strip of text and then you would just have oh, one yeah. image. So it was basically a picture book with lots of text in it. Uh, Are you thinking of Dave Sim? I am. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, it was supremely annoying to me because I was like, that's not a comic, man. You just, yeah. you, it's just a book with a picture in it. Uh, yeah. And so, but yeah. that's a, look, he, he did the, the thing the way he wanted to do it. Oh, and look, and, and credit him. to him. Credit to him. He's, he's but, done a lot more comics than I ever have. So <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. Oh, no, no. That, that does, he, doesn't get a, he doesn't get to win just because of that. No, he, he just... You know, he does it the way he wants to do it, and that's fine. Speaking for myself, I skipped all of those. Yeah, there right. Was, I just went, no, there's no point reading this. <laughs> no, well, that's I what I'm telling you. To. I saw that, and I was like, no way. <laughs> and that's what works for me. Yeah. And it probably made no difference anyway to my enjoyment of the books, wow. uh, which was kind of like, yeah, all right. I didn't, I didn't mind it. I, this was uh, like five years ago I read a, a couple of them. Yeah, right. And I was just like, oh. Yeah. Okay. You know. Yeah. Have you Have you thought about uh, doing some? Well, I suppose you're in the midst of free money now. But I've had a lot of conversation with a lot of uh, creators over the years, and particularly in the last few. 
is is there a need for someone to write uh, to do a comic book on on how local creators can get their butts into gear and actually promote their work uh well i think this if if this all gets done and published and stuff i think it might be partially about that mm. because the idea of it basically is i was you know like probably a lot of people you know you have yeah my parents who will say you know you need to get yourself in gear and figure out how you're going to afford to buy a house and like well how the hell is that going to happen not now and and you have you know people like our you know people that I've, I've worked with who just like yeah you know we're we're putting our kids into the correct school and we're lying about uh, where we live so that they can you know go kind of thing yeah and that kind of thinking is just so foreign to me and anything to do with wealth and finance was just sort of like ugh ooh, why would I want to spend a second more then I have to thinking about any of that shit. And I think that's pretty common for artists. Um, but at a certain point, I kind of went, well, I need to be able to raise my small child in a world where maybe the majority of people are, you know, what's the word? I don't know, mercenary in that way, you know? Yeah, you, I don't understand wanna... it. I don't. Yeah, but by, by not understanding it, it's like we say to Rachel, you know, by by making no choice, you are making a choice, you know. I agree, by, I agree. By opting out all my life, I put myself at a disadvantage. And so I thought it would be an interesting, you know, book for me to try to go through specifically the idea of passive income, you know, because that's a thing that lots of people think that, you know, they can get or, or read books to try to get, like, how am I going to, make free money, you know, how am I going to beat the system kind of thing? And so I thought it'd be interesting to do a thing where I, who know, can I swear on this? Sure can. I, who know fuck all about that, <laughs> can, um, can try to, uh, you know, do some of that stuff. And so I've done a little bit of, you know, I've done some interviews with people who are, you know, like you saw in that free, initial free money comic, I mm -hmm. talked to a woman who has, you know, she knows how to monetize her entire life, every minute of her day, uh, you know, to, to, a, to an extent, I guess, is devoted to making the most possible money you can in maybe in work hours. And she probably enjoys wine and, and a spa uh, a lot of the time to reward herself. And then she's back to this furious pace of wealth creation through multiple different income streams, some of which are passive and some of which are not. Could you and call that? Just, could you call that an art form, like to dedicate yourself so much to doing that, because getting money and more money and then more money on top of that? I mean, it's like I don't know. It's like I, I that part of it I don't understand. Like the wealth creation, so mm. you die and you can't take any of it. Yeah, you're getting more money, but for what? Well, I I, I would see it as protection. You know, someone oh, like that is, well, I mean, so this, the person I spoke to someone who basically she had been in a position where she had been in an extremely wealthy family who had lost it all. Right. And so you can imagine how psychologically that sets you up to be like, that's never happening to me again. I don't and know, David, so, I've been poor all my life and you know, <laughs> I'm, I'm okay right. with it. 
Yeah, yeah, that's a lot of it, though. That's the thing is that so much of it is, you know, what you have passed down to you, not in terms of like, did your parents have lots of money, but did your parents teach you healthy respect of money or, or you know, what was important in life and including, you know, you need to be okay. Like, I worry, you know, in, in, in even in, in, in Australia where it's relatively socialised and we hope that, you know, most people like, unlike in, you know, many places in the world, you, you get sick, you go bankrupt, you die kind of thing. You know, stuff can happen at any moment. So you want to have enough money to be able to ride out a, a horrible illness or, or something, you know, if, if that's necessary. So I, I get people wanting to maximize all their time. It's just that uh, I think it's it's just not a way that I've ever thought before. And it's kind of, you know, damaging in some ways to people and communities and stuff. But I thought it would make an interesting thing to try to categorize categorize what are the different ways that you can make free money you know and there's the the easy kind of ones that people think of like you know if i say to you you know what are what are people's kind of you know easy money making schemes where you don't have to work you might say you know like amazon selling is one of them and uh, you know being a landlord yeah. i think is 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 one of them yep. you know having having money and then using that money to leverage to make more money without yeah. doing any work which is you know i guess stock trading and things like that mm -hmm. but yeah so i imagine this as a big book full of you know uh, exciting stories of of all the ways that people do this stuff but it's kind of not so much about people it's like i suppose the 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 little background you know hum of it would be basically corporations and and you know people who are in sweet government jobs and things like that it's it's these enormous organizations that are really capable of making serious free money because they can do things that you and i as individuals can't do kind of like, like the church uh, of scientology yeah <laughs> if yeah. we're going to talk about wealth creation yeah which is why i ended up doing that I did a comic recently for The Guardian about them, which was about that very thing. Mm -hmm. Why Los Angeles is Scientology's perfect city and illustrated guide. So that was a really excellent thing to get to do because it was something I'd already been researching for this and just because I'm fascinated by Scientology to start with. Uh, and... it, it is, if I've, I have endless fascination with it. It's just... Uh... It just uh, is fascination. Yeah, fascination. It just I, I just don't understand it's, what it is about it, and and I will yeah. never understand why. How there are so many burning questions that even when I watch documentaries, it, it, there are some things that you kind of understand and you get, but on the yeah. whole, there's always parts missing. And and for me, it's also just from the pure standpoint of psychologically why you would want to join. I've had friends from right. LA who have explained how they get you in, mm. but it's the, the submission part of it that I don't understand. Yeah. See, we don't have the five hours that I would be willing to talk to you <laughs> about this. Well, maybe, maybe we should do that like on another night and maybe around a, a drink or two. I, I, I would love to, but the, the very, the very quick answer to that, I think is, Imagine 
like you know a, a, a very successful mid-size company mm-hmm. that has spent sort of 50 60 years honing its various methods of wealth extraction and economizing like basically just imagine a company that's actually it actually works very well in the same way that many maybe wealthy companies do is by harnessing the power of intimidation of its workforce yep uh keeping people frightened yep giving people novelty yep and knowing exactly what to say to a potential customer in every possible circumstance. Because that's yeah. the only way I would understand is like, yeah, you're, you're describing Scientology, right? But you could in fact be talking about any corporation on the planet. Yeah. 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 It, it's, there's, there's, there's reams and reams of writings from L. Ron Hubbard devoted many of them. And they're all considered, um, church doctrine. Like you, you cannot disobey a thing that, that L. Ron Hubbard wrote in 1955, uh, all devoted, so much of it devoted. If like I, I, I mean, it takes you know a lot of research to do even that kind of short comic that I did for the Guardian because you must get everything exactly factually correct, or or be you know attacked for it. Did you get but attacked at all for it? I did not get attacked, but a kindly gentleman from the church of scientology did request a sit down with me which i did oh that was and that's interesting are you allowed to talk world, about it uh i'll i'll just say that you know everything is gray there's no black and white and you know people are interesting <laughs> <laughs> it's you know but the deeper you, you, you don't have to into, say any more <laughs> no, no, but the, I mean, just the point is that the deeper you get into Scientology and the more research that you do, the the deeper you will continue to go because of how fascinating it is. And what I was going to say is that so much of the doctrine is devoted to how we make money. Yeah. How, because if you look at it from a religious standpoint and you go, well, the only way that we can save the universe is to make money, then you must make all the money. Yeah. So... You know, it's our survival and therefore the universe's survival. So you can justify it all. Well, I thought it was a remarkable, um, remarkable piece, the, the one in the Guardian. Uh, Thanks. And and just Great another, and another, another, um, another piece. You know, that a companion piece to a lot of the other stuff that I've seen that talks uh, about Scientology. Just in a yeah, comic thanks. book format. No, it was it was I really was, good. And and you you seem to and great like, to be edited too. All right. Wow. As how a, was how did that a, feel? Well, it's just it doesn't happen very often in comics that you get like seriously properly edited. Do you know what I mean? Was it a heavy hand? It was. It, well, look, there was a legal aspect to it, mm-hmm. but it was also just you know a professional editor at the Guardian who was like, I think this would be stronger if we keep this stuff and we remove this stuff, and right. you know. I just really love being edited any time I get a chance for it to happen because it doesn't seem to happen very often for comics people because people who are professional editors, whether they're, you know, a a media outlet or at a book publisher or whatever, they don't get experience in editing comics until they get experience in editing comics. 
So the very there's really very few times I've gotten edited in a way where I went, wow, that's cool. That's actually really helping the piece. You know, I usually have to get informal editing advice from friends who do comics and also friends who don't do comics. Mm. Um, but, you know, doing stuff for Mad Magazine, I got edited and, and Dave, the editor, is awesome at that because he's had experience. And uh, the, this editor at The Guardian was really good at it because she just commissioned probably, I don't know, maybe 100 or so uh, other visual pieces for them. So, yeah, just a pleasure to get that. That's great. We are going to have to wrap it up pretty soon, mate. Um, yeah. But, but uh, I do want to ask you, uh, what um, what medium do you work in currently? Is it, is it digital? Yeah, all the recent stuff has been digital. Yeah, because I, I got a program called Clip Studio. Oh, yep. And I really like it. It was, yeah, I think I started using it for um, uh, the free money, please. And I was trying to, like with the takedown, I was trying to find a, a simple style to use, but I wanted to switch to full color because I think that just grabs people better when you work in color. Yep. But I, but I historically don't because I kind of come from zines and photocopy little books. And so I was always a black and white uh, guy. And this was just a, 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 like without outlines. So all the characters and everything, nothing has an outline. Um, and that sped it up enough and also working digitally sped it up enough because, you know, I can, you know, do, do tracing of, of backgrounds and stuff. And, and again, you know, proper comics people will, will get annoyed at me for admitting that I've traced a bunch of stuff, but you know, <laughs> I was going to ask you what, what, uh, what style you prefer pen and paper or digital, but, uh, it would oh, seem that digital is serving a greater purpose for you. It's necessary. It's necessary to do it because I'll I'll never I'll never get a pen and ink comic done as quickly if I than if I do it digitally mm-hmm. and yeah like I say Clip Studio is a pleasure to 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 lay out in and so and that's probably also why I've, I've gone with simple layouts for comics because on paper you can I found I'm I'm better at doing layout you know it's a piece of paper it's in front of you you can work that stuff out whereas if I'm doing it digitally i'm not looking at a page in the same way yeah so that's probably contributed to going simpler as well doing it digitally yeah right so free money is expressively what you're working on now that's that's what's taken up most of your time or you're working on several projects i'm working yeah that's the one i'm i'm kind of working on when i'm working on it at the moment luckily i have some actual paid work to do in the midst of you know virus time so i've i've had a lot of work on and touch wood that continues yeah but but otherwise that's that's kind of what i'm working on in the background mostly yeah i've been interviewing people for the last couple of years and and then doing like that one big piece and i'm sort of thinking at the moment i'm i'm i've been asked by uh a uh an agent to do a sample chapter for the book wow that's great news to pitch to publishers mm-hmm. and uh so i'm gonna do that that's what i'm thinking about at the moment so i'm collecting up all the research and going through and finding the good bits for a chapter that's about the arts particularly because mm-hmm. that will be the hopefully the quickest thing because i actually am in the arts and yep. know a bit about it and know people so 
to talk to. So yeah, so I've got to I've got to organize, and I've been slack. I've got to organize a bunch of interviews with with some more people. So yeah, if uh, if if anyone knows um, David Walsh, I wanted to talk to him, but uh, I think everybody in the world wants to talk to him. But he's one of these people who's like at the crossroads of art and money and also yeah money money making <laughs> and my my theory my my little theory uh the way i've categorized the arts in terms of passive income is that i've decided that art ca- careers are they're, they're basically what i call uh gambling and or mining <laughs> like if you're in the arts you're either like me just doing it because it's what you do and it's a gamble and you don't expect necessarily to make lots and lots of money mm-hmm. or your and or your mining so you're kind of doing the same thing doggedly constantly digging 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 and hoping that maybe you will strike oil or whatever yeah right it's and just a gambler way to look at it. so i thought it'd be interesting to talk to a gambler who who has an art gallery about art and gambling <laughs> He's, he uh, he's apparently very affable. My wife I'm met sure him. We, we were we were at Mona uh, a few years back, and and uh, he was just walking around. And she said hi, and he was happy for a chat. Yeah, well, cool. If if he if he if I'm ever allowed to travel to Tasmania again, and we go to Mona, I will knock on his office door if someone tells me where it is. I'm sure that you can just make a few inquiries and find out if he's available to talk. Yeah, I've been looking into it. Well, you can cut out everything that wasn't about comics and then you'll have a nice tight 20-minute podcast. <laughs> well, I think it's interesting actually that, that you talk about that kind of stuff because a lot of the times, depending on on people's experience, you've done a lot of really interesting stuff and you've put them all into comics, which is amazing. When you know, when, you know, when I talk to someone like yourself who's done so much work for so many varied, varied places and... There's so much more to talk about because you have done those things because you're so focused on the narrative of things. Uh, mm. You know, the, where I would typically talk to people about the art and why those choices, you know, for you, that's not the most important part, which is great because, you know, it's just, like I said, it's just another color in the spectrum of, of comics. You know, you talk yeah. to someone like Bruce, and Bruce can sit there, and he likes the mechanics. Like he, he'll mm-hmm. he could, he'll break down the mechanics of everything inside yeah. a comic. But you know, you talk to someone like yourself, who you know, it's like, yeah, you know, color outlines, fuck that shit, because the most important part is the information that I'm imparting. And you go, that's right. great. You know, that that's yep. a, again just another different color in the spectrum, and that's what I love. Because for for a fan of the medium, it's if I've seen it a million times, I just won't pick it up. Yeah, you know, it's like every time I go to the go to a go to a comic store and I see another zombie on the cover, and it's just like fuck, another yeah. one. You know, it's like give yeah. me something different, you know, and and so you, yeah. you start reading books that are you know about feminism, and it's like, well, this I can sink my teeth into because I don't know shit about feminism, and yeah. I get it in a medium that I fucking love, you know. So I'm going to learn something reading something I love reading, you know. It's that kind of, that for me. That's the best part about comics and. Don't get me wrong, I love superhero comic books, but again, over time, it's like, wow, there's only so many ways Spider-Man can escape the clutches of fucking, you know, the goblin. 
Yeah. I love that shit, and I still love what the character and embo- the embodiment of the character, what the character stands for, and all this other kind of stuff. But I'm just gonna, re- I'm not gonna read it because I've just seen that too many times. Predominantly, what I've been doing the last five, ten years is just taking a chance and reading a lot of different stuff. You know, even to the point where you go to something like Indie Comic Con in Melbourne and you read someone's foldable comic, which was unreal. It's like, yes, this is what it's about. It's about trying new shit. Yeah. Well, that's why it's nice in Melbourne. You've got this interesting, diverse, relatively diverse scene of, you know, or, or multiple scenes, I suppose. You know, there's definitely different groups, loose groups of, of people who do comics and they they do stuff for different reasons. You know, you've got people who do the, the fist punchy face kind of zombie apocalypse comics and stuff like that and they love that stuff and then you get, you know, people who are a bit weird and silly like me and Ben Hutcho and, you know, and you get, uh, because there's not piles of money in it for anyone, people are largely doing it for love or because they are, you know, emotionally disturbed and driven to do <laughs> comics. But it means that people are, are bringing, you know, it's not anyone's full-time job. There's no comics industry in Australia. So the vast majority of us are doing it while we're doing other jobs. So I get to do comics about things I think are interesting and bring, you know, like you said, that, that the weird human-centered design ideas and bring that into comics. And then, you know, think of someone like Scarlett Bacchini, who's got, remarkable, you know, remarkable I think six creative. or ten other incredible talents that she brings to, you know, everything she does. And <laughs> then she, she also <laughs> spends time injecting that and her personal weirdness into her own comics. Hmm. And then you got all, like, the Silent Army guys who have all their various things that they bring into this. And, you know, it's all generally for love, you know, because they must do it. And... So that's why I always kind of say to people, you know, as soon as there is a like a, a path to to wealth that becomes evident for the local scene, everyone will become a complete bitch, and there will be backstabbing. Do you really think so? Because that's one of my that's one of the <laughs> one of the questions I really love asking people, particularly you know some of the yeah. some of the crew like you have been around for a bit. Um, do you think that we will ever? have a commercial industry it's just one of those things that i've always thought how a commercial industry would or could help garner um the me or make the medium stronger in australia Mm. and i think you know and in your opinion do you reckon that a commercial uh organization here that 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 exclusively creates comics do you think it would be a good thing or even profitable or you know uh, uh successful uh, I don't know. It's I'm I'm I don't think like even though I do this human centered design stuff, I I'm not really I think a big future thinker kind of like what is possible, let's dream big kind of thing. Mm. I can only sort of look at what has happened before and try to imagine, you know, what that leads to or look at other industries that are kind of like ours and really all I can see because you know you, you hear people talk about economies of scale you know and that it's just not possible to to, to create an industry like America or France or wh- wherever has because we're a different group of people and we have different priorities and we're really small uh, and far away 
So we just, we don't have the structures that, you know, in America, if you do indie comics, you yourself by yourself, maybe with your partner can drive around in a, in a van and do, you know, 10 or 12 shows a year uh, that are geared to your kind of comics. And you can make some money doing that. And so lots of people do. And as a result, they have a bigger scene uh, probably with a lot more bitchiness and a lot more <laughs> no, seriously. Yeah. Like, you know, I just think it's not the people. It's not like we're a bunch of horrible people. It's that when, you know, that's why I'm trying to write this thing. And it's so hard because the free money thing is I'm like, as soon as money comes into things, everything gets complicated and awful. And if you take it to its extreme, you end up in a place where they won't let you fix a wire because, you know, there's managers and managers, layers upon layers of them all uh, looking out for the legal problems that will come of, of Zoran fixing a thing. You know, not that that's ever going to happen with comics, uh, but I can imagine, you know, just lots of, you know, I think of like uh, baseball, American baseball, where they just harvest people from other uh, weaker countries. Yeah, right. And that, that I can imagine, and that's what happens. The people who want to be part of the American comic scene and are decently good at it and work hard, they get grabbed out and they get to do work for a real industry. And, you know, same for, for Europe, I guess. If you are simpatico with, with European comics and it's a style that makes sense to you and you work in a way that is complementary to that, you can aim to be published in Europe. Uh, um, and I don't know exactly what my audience is or what my style is and who should read it. And that's the big problem is, you know, when you pitch a thing, you have to tell them that. Yeah. You have to tell them before they think about considering commissioning a book, they need to know that enough people are going to buy it before you even start writing it. So... I need to think a lot harder about that stuff. And the pain of thinking about that stuff is what the book's almost about. <laughs> so, yeah, it's so as far as a scene, you know, a scene becoming an industry in Australia, it's, I think it's just going to be lots and lots of individual shops and then occasional, I mean, like, like little, you know, groups of people or, or individual, yep. uh, you know, people doing work. And some of them will get pinched and do work overseas and make a living out of that. And then, you know, occasionally some of us do something weird and stupid like open squish face, which is not a business decision by any means. And, but... and another whole conversation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just a co-share workspace for cartoonists in Melbourne. And so we all, <sighs> I'm not at the moment because I'm trying to be careful of, you know, a virus death, but, um, we sit there and we talk to each other and we cross pollinate and we have a nice time doing our own work, but it is our own work. We're not a, a commercial studio or anything and nobody wants it to be. So yeah, but, but when things like that, that's the, that's the thing really to remember. I don't know if it's just because we're small in Australia, but it only takes one person to go, I want this to happen to make it happen sometimes, you know? Yeah. Publishers have started, you know, a couple of people in Perth decided they wanted to publish comics and they worked hard at it and they're gestalt and they continue to do it. And they're an exception. They are exceptional because probably many reasons, you know, 
they were but, but working hard and not stopping is basically i think what keeps them alive i think i think that's pretty much pretty much what keeps anybody going why you know why put all the work in otherwise yeah. if you don't get in but who wants it. to do the admins Oren? i i this is, don't this is why i keep asking why aren't you pushing your work I see that I see, like you said before that the crew that are involved with some of the commercial industries in in America in terms of comics, you know they talk the talk, they do what they need to do, they get shit done, yeah. and it's kind of like, what is it that they have learnt or know or have fallen into that that helps them do that rather than some of the some of the kids that I see who are doing great stuff but yet are still sitting here, you know. Pumping out yeah. zines and and not actually, uh, not getting the word out, and it's like it's not, you know, I'm I'm not saying you have to be on the on the New York Times bestseller list, but you know, but but let people know that you're doing something. Let people know that what you're doing is actually really good or is, is worth them reading it. Uh, you know, yeah. I, I get that. I get that people are a little bit, oh, you know, nah, it's not that good. Oh, you know, it's, you know, undercutting themselves. I understand that. And I understand it from the perspective of being Australian. And that's kind of generally mm. how we do things. But then more often than not, it's the people who are doing amazing stuff are the ones that are saying that shit. And it's not letting people see your work. And it's the work that people generally need to see. Mm. And that's, yep. you it's, know, it's complicated. Yeah, no, I, I get think. that. <laughs> I get that. But it just, it's still frustrating. I've had these... You know, I've had these conversations privately with people before, you know, who are not comics people who are or who don't do comics themselves, but they work really hard to to do festivals or to to, you know, put on a radio show like you've done and, and podcasts and wanna help comics people. And the sad thing is you guys get burnt out eventually. Because <laughs> I'm just saying, <laughs> from my observation, yeah. Uh, yeah. the the person who is willing to do the admin, who is willing to put this effort in that you are putting in now, uh, uh, it it nobody helps, <laughs> and <laughs> nobody is. I'm laughing in agreement. Nobody shows their their great thanks for it. Uh, people are very good at complaining. What, what usually happens is someone tries to do a thing that will help us all and everyone kind of quietly ignores it or, you know, goes and is part of it but doesn't, you know, offer to help seriously. And after two or three goes, that's kind of the end of it. Well, um, well let me tell you this, David, that I'm yeah. that stupid that I won't listen to any yeah. of that. And I'm still so doing it. It's, uh, I don't know. We're lucky that, that you are that stupid and many other people are that stupid. Some of them artists and some of them not, just people who are really enthusiastic. And I'm, at the moment, I'm the uh, uh, deputy president of the Australian Cartoonist Association. Nice. Because... Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. I, uh, I, I did that because I, I didn't entirely like what I was seeing in the ACA and I had been complaining with other people privately and I went, no, you know what? Stop complaining and get involved and see how that goes. Mm. And, you know, uh, I'm probably burning out <laughs> a bit. 
because it was, oh man do you know running something is really bloody painful sticking your neck out and trying to to help with a thing yeah yeah that's your strength yeah. um i don't know how long i will continue to do it i may also if i do decide to continue i may be voted out uh so who knows but um yeah you've got to we all have to kind of carefully guard where our energy goes you know you can't put all of your effort and dreams and excitement into something and and have it sort of fall over you know you you want to make sure you're conserving yourself uh appropriately for the things that are worth doing and i think most artists you know definitely the ones i like the most generally are people who go i just want to do it i just want to do the work i i can't i don't want to sell it i don't want to yeah, that's not my thing. Yeah, our our energy is better spent with that stuff. But, uh, yeah, if you have some ambition, and I guess I must have a bit, uh, uh, you eventually go. Well, shit, this should be a book, and 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 it should be published, and it shouldn't just be me photocopying it at Kinkos. So, you know, that maybe forces you into into doing something commercial. Well, I'm I'm glad that you're starting to think that way. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> David has been spectacular, mate. Thank you so much for the chat. Oh, no um, problem. That's the end of this uh, episode of Graphic Nature. Thanks for listening. Hope you've enjoyed it. Uh, please rate and review the show on whatever podcast service you use. It'd be greatly appreciated. If you have any thoughts regarding the show, feel free to send an email to feedback at graphicnature.media. Or if you just want to get in touch, just uh, jump on the website. Uh, you can catch me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. For more information about the show, visit Graphic Nature on the web by typing into your handy web browser or search engine graphicnature.media. Uh, see you when we see you. <laughs> Thanks very much. Credits! Written, produced, edited, and presented by Zoran Ilyevsky. Audio consultation and additional production. Archie Cuthbertson, Dan Moore. Credits announcer, Simon Winkler. Theme character voices, Zoran Ilyevsky. Audio excerpts of Senate Subcommittee on Juvenile Delinquency, Wortham versus Gaines on Decency Standards, used courtesy of New York City Municipal Archives. You've been listening to Graphic Nature, the podcast. <laughs>